0: Jake Paul belongs in the boxing ring. He fought his heart out He landed some good shots. Credit to him his mother and father can be very proud of him, as I am, my family. Let's do it again in a great country of Saudi. What did you think of the whole event, you know, the, the oh, ring magnificent. books? Magnificent, magnificent. Saudi Arabia and Dubai are the places to be in the future. Here's where the big time boxing's coming. Nowhere else. It's the time for a new beginning. People want new stuff. They're sick of going to Las Vegas. They're sick of going to Wembley. They're sick of going to Tottenham. They want to come and enjoy an event in the lovely warm weather. Nice people, you know, where you get trep with a warm welcome and everybody's your friend. That's where boxing belongs. It's about the fans, it's not about the fighters, they get well-paid. It's about those fans around the world who enjoy good events. And I think Tommy and Jake served up a, a corker and God bless both of them. What did you make of that knockdown in the last round? Did you feel it was a genuine knockdown? No, I'll it was a stumble, but a jab caused a stumble so the referee was right. It was a jab, it was at the end of it, it caused him to get me off balance. But I looked at him, he nodded, nodded back. I knew he was okay. Thank you, though. He was okay, I said, keep calm. Coming your way, but you know what? He could have made things a lot easier but when you're carrying the weight of the world, the amount of just to the new baby who's carrying his name, his old career on the line. So, you know what? The kid stepped up to his the plate, done it. And all you people in the UK, what doubted my son? I said, Every TV company, just want to sack it off.
1: And welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where the number one dietary choice is now the uncastrated boar meat omelette of all things to eat to get big, strong and in shape. I mean, 34 eggs and half a ton of uncastrated boar meat. Um, As I promised, I said I'd just do a quick run around the houses just to get up to speed on stuff. Um, Life's just kind of got in the way. I think I'd describe it as that. There's some family stuff I had to take care of, which was... Intense, but I give thanks that everything's stabilized now so I can relax. I don't particularly think you wanted me recording last week, it wouldn't have been pleasant. Even to be fair, like if I want to be harsh on myself, even my Jake Paul episode was a bit ranty towards the end. I guess I just had to get stuff off my chest, so bear with me, guys. Sometimes you've just got to, it's not even anger, sometimes it's just all of this kind of energy you've built up because you've been focused on other things in other situations so long you haven't really looked at yourself and that's a reminder to everyone i guess we do so much for so many people a lot of our lives that we forget to to focus on what makes us the best versions of ourselves so if it sounded a bit ranty on the jake paul tommy fury one apologies for that the messages still stay the same in terms of as fans we need to be better and um, we need to be nicer to each other all this sort of stuff and we need to respect our legends as well you know that's one of my bugbears, that we don't show enough love and respect to our legends. But that's all done. Let's talk about the stuff that I've missed. I wanted to start with Lee Wood versus Mauricio Lara. Um, we've had just over a week to digest that. I want to start with something I think is obvious, but people will disagree with this. I don't think Mauricio Lara is that good. I just don't. like. I know people talk about you know, he's got the deadly left hook, and he has, but it's not like he's intelligent with with how he does it you know he didn't seem to pace the fight properly didn't seem to have the right tactics for the fight and he actually made it really easy for lee wood and then this turns it back to lee wood's tactics i'm not going to call it a ben davison curse i just think ben davison is the trainer he's always going to be and he's always going to be a, a caution first type trainer so he's always going to look to minimize risk before he does anything from his end and that's a legacy of a number of things. You know, like, if you're not sure how to knock people out, if you're not sure how to stay in the pocket and just go toe-to-toe, you're naturally going to earn the side of caution. And he's not the only trainer to do that. But what it means is for someone like Lee Wood, who relies on the weight of his punches, having an effect. Now, Lee Wood's not a one-punch knockout guy. And I don't think he's ever pretended to be. But he is a boxer that if he, if he is able... To hit you and hit you frequently, it will take a lot out of you. It'll push you out, it'll push you off your game plan, it will make you uncomfortable, and it will force you to kind of fight his fight. And I thought there was an opportunity for Ben to show us a bit of diversity in his tactical setup by doing that. But Ben is the trainer he is, and I know it's easy to criticize him and call him boxer-size Ben. But Ben's maturing into a competent trainer at world level. He's still growing, he's still young, he's still learning, but he's growing into that role. And You know, the stoppage is proof of that. I know a lot of people criticized the stoppage at the time and we've all gone on to reflect differently on it. I thought it was a good stoppage, and the reason I thought it was a good stoppage was that right leg of of Lee Woods never relaxed again. Once it stiffened up, it never relaxed. And what that meant was half of his shock absorbing system was gone. And I know people like to talk about boxes having chins, but it's not having a chin. And I keep explaining this all the time that the ability to resist a punch is systemic. It's not biological, it's systemic. It's this force that's just hit me. Where can I send it to so it doesn't get to the brain? And your legs are an important part of that because if you can get most of your energy into your legs, and even if it's that your legs go from relaxed to stiff, or from stiff to relax. As long as you can change the state of your legs, which are the heaviest part of your body, you take a lot of the energy away. So if Lee Wood was coming back into that fight on one stiff leg, he wasn't able to absorb the shots as he would do normally. So you were just asking for trouble. And 60 seconds between rounds wasn't going to be enough to get Lee Wood into the position he was in before he got knocked out, because even then he was struggling in the fight. So an 80% Lee would, a 60% Lee would, would have been in a dangerous position. And I assume Ben saw where the fight was headed and he said, nah, Lee's given it his best shot and we've just handicapped ourselves with this situation. So why bother? And that's the most sensible thing a trainer can do. That's compassion, that's intelligence, that's saving your man for another fight. But there are people in boxing who legitimately want to see people die in the ring. They won't be satisfied unless they see someone dead in the ring I I don't understand that mentality because if your kid was having a fight in the playground and was losing at some point you say he's had enough can you imagine another parent going no 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 keep stamping on him till he doesn't breathe you you can't we shouldn't be that cruel and I know people are saying well this boxer and that boxer and this boxer were allowed to continue and look at what they did but those are the exceptions not the rule so I thought Ben made a, Ben made the right call made a smart call um tactically no i would disagree with the tactics of that fight I think Lee Wood could have done a lot of damage to Mauricio Lara he's not a bogey man by any stretch of the imagination you know I just call him he's a he's a gab that's what he is he's a gab you know good against Brits that's what Mauricio Lara is he's good against Brits like Linares was like Canelo is you know, you give him a Brit and their style's just perfect for Brits because we don't We don't train our fighters in a variety of styles and as much as you can be on the internet researching stuff, nothing beats facing different styles. Nothing beats being in there and not being surprised. And I think that's the advantage Lara had. He wasn't surprised. He'd been in there with Warrington. He'd been to the UK. It was routine for him as he'd been here twice before. So I'm still not sold that Lara's that good. I don't think Mauricio Lara beats Navarrete. I don't think Mauricio Lara beats Isaac Dogbo. There are a load of guys at 126. I don't know if Gary Russell's still at 126, but he doesn't beat a lot of these guys because he lacks that nuance. When he hits you, he hits you by all means, but there are guys who can see that coming a mile off. And i will be intrigued to see if Lara decides to move up after fighting Warrington or if now that he's got a world championship, he will seek to unify but if I'm being honest, I like watching Lara because he he comes to knock people out. And that's really what you want in boxing. And he's seemingly got his sights set on Josh Warrington. Although I don't want to see that fight next. I think a third fight would tell us absolutely nothing other than Lara is light years ahead of Josh Warrington. And Warrington is a pretty good um, world British champion. That's what he is. Like Lee Wood. Lee Wood was another world British champion. And I don't say that to demean them, but that's kind of their level. So why not let those two fight each other? Forest versus Leeds. The city of Leeds versus the city of Nottingham. Warrington versus Wood. The battle of the W's. Who will get the W? Who gets to keep the W? Just put that on in the summer. It's easy money. It's the same money you would make for either man fighting Lara without the jeopardy of shortening your career. So that's the fight I'd like to see. If the winner wants to fight Lara after that, cool. But I'd still like to see Lara fight someone like an Isaac Dogbo, someone who's legitimately world-level and has proven themselves to be a world-level operator. And he's still got that British connection as much as people try to you know, push him to the side. But in terms of that show, um, what do you... Because a lot of people well, with the view that Dalton Smith was Superman, and he fought Billy Allington, and like, you know, us lot down south, we know Billy Allington, and we know how good Allington is and isn't. And yes, he's tough, but that's the sort of guy Dalton Smith should be taking out. If you're talking about fast-tracking to a world title, that's the guy you should be taking out. Because you look at who's at 140 right now, and it's Josh Taylor, it's Teo Lopez, Regis Progre. These are all guys that, if you're not world-level, will spin your head 360 degrees regularly. Yeah. Could Dalton Smith beat a Victor Postal now? Probably not. And then look at who's looking to move up to 140. Guys like Devin Haney, Ryan Garcia, Tank Davis, all looking to move up to 140. So if Dalton Smith wants to be a world champion at 140, like he's going to have to get these hard fights. And everything I've just said for Dalton Smith... Add to Adam Azim as well. I'd just be putting these guys in the ring. I'd have them face each other. That's what I do now. Like they've got to learn how to be in with people who have that superior skill level. And right now, they're probably the two best in the country in terms of talent. So let them go at it. Let's you know, not delay. And I said this in the previous episode, so I won't labour the point. But the sooner we get that fight done, I think the better for the sport and the better for each of them individually. Uh, What else did I notice about that card? I picked up on the Sonny Edwards, Eddie Hearn thing. And at this point, if I really wanted to be an idiot, I could slaughter Sonny Edwards. I could say this, I could say that. But actually, I feel sorry for Sonny. Because he's now at that point where you're like, you're at world level. Let him jump in with world level guys. Guys. Let Sonny Edwards jump in with Chocolatito. Let him jump in with Estrada. Let him jump in with Raw Raw Vasai. Let him jump in with those sorts of guys. And if we can't do that, let's drop down a level and let's jump in with Bam Rodriguez. And it seems that Sonny's being blocked from all of these opportunities. I don't know if it's a Sonny Edwards thing. I don't know if it's a Probellum thing. I don't know what it is, and I'm not going to speculate. But it's unfair let the kid fight, let the kid get tested, let him win, let him lose, whatever's meant to happen, let him earn. Because he is. Like, he's an open book, he says, I'll fight anyone. You want to take the majority of the money? Take the majority of the money, let me fight. And the irony was, he was right there with Eddie Hearn. And Eddie sort of had that look like, I'm not touching this. But you control all the fights that he needs. So what do you mean you're not having this? Like You want to bring Bam to the UK, it's got to be Sonny Edwards. You want to bring Chocolatita to the UK, it's got to be Sonny Edwards. You want to bring Estrada to the UK, it's got to be Sonny Edwards. Hearn hasn't got the depth of stable where he can ignore Sonny Edwards for his stable. Now, like I've said before, I don't know if the Probellum thing is a hard one to get out of, maybe an expensive one to get out of. But it's a real shame that Sonny's kind of kicking his heels for now. And I know he came out in the media and said, look, I'm still fighting. I'm still doing well. But he's a, he's a clever kid. He understands boxing. He understands legacy. And he knows this is his time to have legacy fights. So hopefully the fans will put the right kind of pressure on the promoters and Sonny will get his opportunity. That's what I'll say on the matter. Because let's find out what level he's at, really. And he wants to know himself. So let him get stuck in. I just genuinely felt... I felt sorry for him when it started to look like things were getting blocked off for him. And you're like, uh. And it doesn't matter what someone says to me online. I mean, that stuff, it's, it's not real. But getting blocked from opportunities is real. And that does affect him. It affects his, his spiritual health. It affects all sorts of things. You know, it's not nice to, to know that you're capable of an opportunity. You don't get it. People, come on, how many people listening right now have been on a job hunt? And you know there's a role you could do in your sleep. And they tell you that you're not qualified or that they found someone more qualified. And you take up it, it's a blow. So I've got a bit of empathy with Sonny, and I say, look, let the young man have his opportunity. On the subject of you know Middle Eastern connections, it's crazy that we're walking into March and we still don't have a date or even an inkling of when Fury versus Usik will happen. Um, the the chatter coming through the various channels and online is that Usyk wants it to be a 50-50 split. Fury saying no. I think I've spoken about this before, Matt, been on Porky's channel. And I've said my theory on this is Usyk's just out there to get his retirement check, right? I don't think... U- Once Usyk fights for undisputed heavyweight, I don't think he wants to fight again. There's nothing else he has to prove. If he wins, maybe he'll carry on and fight Wilder just to complete the set. But after that, he, there's nothing for him to prove. Whereas I have a feeling Tyson Fury owes people money out of this purse. And what Tyson's saying is, if I owe X, I need to make sure that I secure that and my own revenue. So I think his argument is, me and Usyk can take home 50-50, but I still got overheads of people that I've got to pay. So it can't be 50-50 at the headline level. And Usyk's almost like, well, that's not my problem. I think that's where the negotiations are stuck. Uh, the other challenge is the Middle East aren't spending as much money because they're realizing that these, these boxing events are incredibly expensive to stage and it's hard to track where the return on investment's coming from. I think what the Saudis are realizing, what the, the Emiratis are realizing, the Qataris are realizing is actually boxing's not a glamour sport. Unless you've got like a fury, the rest of it is not glamorous. So spending $100 to stage an event isn't going to give you a corresponding return. Unlike signing Cristiano Ronaldo, which does have a corresponding return because there's more of a halo effect of football on how fans perceive your country and how fans behave. Boxing, people can kind of take or leave. So this will be like that last year where you can get real Middle Eastern money before they start introducing tighter financial controls and tied to business cases around staging these sorts of fights. But it goes back to the old adage, boxing is the art of finding people with money and separating from their money, giving as little as you need to in the process. So, what are they saying about Fury? Fury's meant to be boxing April 29th, whether it's Usyk or not is irrelevant, right? He's boxing April 29th, but people won't... I don't think people will show up, but we say this every time about Fury, and people show up and... Yeah, boxing fans are a different breed. I I don't understand them. I'm grateful that a lot of them exist, but I don't understand them. Keep listening to this channel. Keep sharing. Keep liking. Please. So what will be interesting is we'll see if there's a Middle Eastern appetite for Lomachenko versus Haney. If they can make stupid money in the Middle East, then fantastic, right? The market's still viable, but I have a feeling that they'll struggle. The other challenge they have as well is if they have it in America, can Ben Davis and fly out to the States? Is that why Devin Haney wants to do it in the Middle East? I don't know. But it seems strange that Bob Arum would do a top-ranked show in the Middle East where neither, neither fan has a significant... Neither fighter has a significant fan base, whereas you could do that fight in Vegas and make all the money you need. So I find that really interesting, but... That will all be revealed, I guess, between now and Easter. But the upside is, look, in the lightweight division, we're getting the fights we asked for, right? So we're going to get Lomachenko versus Haney, which is a credible fight for Undisputed. Prior to that, we're going to get Tank Davis versus Ryan Garcia. Was it April 22nd? So all four of these guys in 2023 have said, right, we'll do it. And hopefully the winners will fight each other, the losers will fight each other, and we just keep building it that way. But it makes a mockery of all the other divisions where it's politics, it's this and it's that. And that's what makes boxing weak. But at least the lightweights are going to give us what we want as fans, and I'm grateful for that. People are asking me, who do I think, Tank or Ryan Garcia, and I'm 100% confident Tank wins. He's, he's just different. He's different. He sees the boxing ring differently to other people, and he's got physiology that allows him to get away with that. I think Ryan Garcia is quite conventional, quite not basic, but easy to read. And I think Tank is almost the opposite: small, compact, hard to read. Knows when to be intense, knows when to sit off. Class. He's just—he's just a human pit bull. He's one of those guys who looks like he just—he loves to fight. He loves to be in the trenches. Just a real—a guy who you imagine would just be sat next to a tree and just be chewing off the bark just for fun. I don't get that vibe of Ryan Garcia. I get the vibe of Ryan Garcia. He's a good calculated boxer who knows what he's doing. But he doesn't look like a guy who's there for when it gets rough. And then the corresponding fight between Loma and Haney. I think that's going to be interesting. At Loma's age, has he still got that that Matrix style? Can he get past the Haney jab? Because if he can get past the Haney jab, I have a feeling... Haney will be easier to deal with than the other guys. But I don't want to be quoted on that because I might have hung myself with my own words. So can we just touch on free agency? And I think this free agency is a direct consequence of promoters jerking boxes around, right? And if you look at the moment at guys who are either hinting at free agency or have said they are free agents, you've got Adrian Broner, who's what, 34-4-1. You've got Andrew Ruiz, who's God knows what. And two, yeah, it's two. Um... Deontay Wilder, was that three defeats or two defeats in a draw to Fury? But these are all superstars. These are all bankable names. These are names that will move the needle. And they're all free agents. And why are they free agents? They're free agents because they don't need to be mandatory for anything anymore. So they don't need a promoter to guide their career. What they need is to be able to cash out with three or four, five, maybe five big fights that will... Set them up for life. And you can see that's what Wilder's doing. Wilder was seen in Saudi. That wasn't a coincidence. You know he was there to glad hand and let people know that he's available for business if the money's right. Let people know what the numbers are that he's looking for. And I'm sure he's out there saying I'll fight anybody if you make the money right. You saw him with Tyson Fury. (laughs) Do we need a fourth fight? Uh... (sighs) Unless Deontay Wilder shows us something different. Unless he fights with Joshua, knocks Joshua out, then says, yeah, I'm ready for Fury again. Then I'd buy that. And that's credible for me. But I don't want to see him go straight into a fight after that Hellenius knockout because Hellenius is not Tyson Fury. In fact, he's nowhere near Tyson Fury. Um, Andy Ruiz, similarly. Uh, What was he doing with PBC? If the Wilder fight wasn't going to happen with PBC and Wilder stepping away from PBC meant that Ruiz had no reason to be there anymore. So now you're Andy Ruiz and you're like, well, where's all the action? All the action's Queensbury. Queensbury and Bob are where all the action is. Until Joshua starts winning again, that's where all the action is. Until Dillian gets a big win, it's, it's top-ranking rank in Queensbury. They can make the fights happen. So you can see why Ruiz has sort of stepped away and said, I'll be a free agent. The same with Broner. But BLK just never delivered for him. And it comes back to the point of, do they have the money they need for Broner? or they found out how incredibly expensive boxing is, how much money is required up front to stage a fight, and how little you get back on the back end. So maybe for BLK, it's brilliant. You get rid of Broner, who is an expensive asset, and you can focus more on guys on the way up. But this free agency thing is interesting. I'm surprised more people don't do it. Because as a promoter, you're like, I don't have to build him up. I'm not investing in him. He's a pay-per-view guy, so I can wheel him in, wheel him out whenever I need to. But like guys like Eddie Hearn love that three fight control. Like, you know, here's my asset. I want to milk it for at least three fights or as many as I can get out of him, which I don't think is fair and would go against the principle of free agency. But I'm loving this whole drift to free agency. I want to see what it does in terms of fighters' purses. Just a little side note that I wanted to touch on. Um, so, the last few days, there's been a tournament over in Bulgaria called the Stranger Tournament. It's one of the. Like if, if you have a Mount Rushmore of non-Olympic and non-World Championship tournaments, the Stranger Tournament's one of them, along with the Chemistry Cup, um, the Felix Sturm Cup, there's a few of them where the best in the world go at it. So you get, you get a look at what the future of boxing looks like. And one of the things I found really interesting is just looking at the recent tournament run, we haven't had many elite Brits. Not many people are stepping up. We've got some talented Brits. Uh, you've got your Hannah Robinson's, your Shona Whitwell's, obviously your Karas, Stalls and Lauren Price's, who will seek to win gold again in Paris. And you've got some some bubbling through your Georgia O'Connors and so forth. But we don't have any standouts anymore. The world's figured us out. They figured out our model. They figured out our tactics. We're not that good anymore. So actually, there's not much you can be excited about. Bear in mind the Olympics are next year. We're not talking about anyone being No massive apologies. Um had to take a phone call unexpectedly, so my train of thoughts all over the place. What I was saying was, my concern is that we're not producing the monsters we used to produce before. You know, kids who you would trust to to walk into tournaments like like the Strandia tournament and come away with good medals. While I say that, I want to congratulate uh, Amy Broadhurst again for winning another gold, um, part of this Irish boxing miracle. And I can't understand for the life of me why the Irish can't translate this amateur success into pro success. It doesn't make sense to me, but congratulations to Amy Broadhurst. I want to congratulate Raheem Gonzalez as well, out of America, who won the light heavyweight gold. He looks like he'll be a talent in the future. But apart from that... It was loads of Uzbeks and Armenians who won and these are guys who generally don't translate well into the pro game. So there's something that's lacking in the British system at the moment. and I don't know what it is. We're in an era now where the ability to acquire knowledge and skill is easier. Like there are no barriers to knowledge anymore. So I don't know if it's that we're just not getting the kids through the doors anymore. I don't know if it's that. I don't... Yeah, it's a hard one, but we're, we're struggling at the moment. We're struggling because, and I put this out to the listeners, if you can name me five amateurs in the GB system now who you'd back to get medals, man or female, you, you'd put your house on getting medals. You struggle. But we've had guys like Josh Kelly. We've had guys like Boatsy. We've had guys even before that like Luke Campbell and Josh Taylor. Guys who you looked at and went, you can go well. You know, look at the people we were turning down like Lerone Richards and Isaac Dogbo. They're guys you look at now and you take them in GB. So I just wanted to say that because, you know, sometimes I don't touch on the grassroots enough, but we have a real issue in terms of that. And I don't know if it's a lack of bout time. These kids aren't fighting enough. Is it a lack of good coaching? You know, I, know, <laughs> I know if you drove around places like Power Day Hooks, Dale Youth, uh, The Lodge, um, Earlsfield, They'll tell you it's a lack of good coaches because, you know, they're seeing a lot of people literally step out of fitness first and start cornering people in amateur bouts. And I'm not going to criticize that. And the reason I'm not going to criticize that is everyone's got to start somewhere. What I've never been comfortable with is when people get that first kind of level one coaching badge for their amateur stuff, they suddenly act like they're Buddy McGirt. You know, it's all a bit too much. They almost fall in love with the lanyard and they don't fall in love with the process of becoming a better coach. And a lot of them just stagnate once they've got their level one and their level two. And maybe that's one of the factors. But if you're looking forward five years to who's going to be dominating British boxing and world boxing, cupboard's bare, people. The cupboard is really bare. Um, Yeah, I've just seen that Mr. Cordina's has come back at me over the comments that I said the other night, and I stand by them. I've had a weekend to reflect. I stand by them. Anyone who's attacking people trying to make a living, I don't know who Floyd has to feed with his money. I don't know who Tommy has to feed with his money. I don't know who Jake Paul has to feed with his money. I don't know what ecosystem they support. In the same way as if I bump into you in the street, I'm not going to try and take away your income because I don't know who you're trying to feed. I always have a rule like when you put me in positions of leadership, me firing someone is my last option. I will do everything I can to not fire someone because I don't know who's eating off that check. I don't know if you're feeding family back home in Armenia, in Poland. I don't know. And so when I see people disrespecting Floyd, I'm like, you can't do that. Especially like when you, you're, you're not secure for life and you're not getting any younger. What's Cordina now, 31, 32? You're not getting any younger. And when you get to 40 and people are like, yo, Joe Cordina's struggling. Can you put into this GoFundMe? I'm the sort of guy that will put into the GoFundMe because I understand how hard it is to rebuild. But what we can't do is we can't disrespect people trying to make a few quid, no matter how much money they have, because we don't know who else they're feeding. And I don't want to be boxing's policeman because that's not my job. It's not my role. But boxers need to be better because everyone's now turning into Danny Connor, just bitter at everything, bitter at everything, bitter at the stuff that people have that you don't have but you feel you deserve. Let these guys live, man. Let the veterans do what they do. You know, I don't want to speak about it again. I think that's my last word on that topic. Yeah, we need to stop that negativity from people who benefited from that Mayweather bubble. Oh, man. So that feels, that feels like the undercard's done. And I know most people are here because they're like, Terry, you've got to talk about Conor Ben And talk about Conor Ben. I will. So the WBC issued their statement. And to summarize their statement, this ain't our problem. Yeah. After 270 pages, we have enough muddy water that we don't have to touch this. And we're going to kick this over to UCAD and the Board of Control. I know people are upset with the WBC. You're going to call them corrupt. You're going to call them spineless. This is the one time. This is the one time we will not call the WBC corrupt. And if you understand corporate politics, you will know. If you don't have to have a fight, don't have it. And let's be honest, if we were advising the WBC, this is what we would say. We'd say, look, okay, you can ban Conor Ben from your rankings. But he's just going to go to another one. He's going to go to the WBA. Not hard, right? There's no point in you banning him WBC if he's not banned by his governing body because he can go somewhere else. That just means you lose out on money unnecessarily. And so Mauricio Suleiman's looked at that and gone, yeah, you're right. It's really on the board in UCAD to make this work. So we're going to kick this over to them. And be, and UCAD and the board should be grateful because this battle's already played out. They should be able to orchestrate their tactics based on what's already happened because there's no way that Team Ben have additional information that they haven't shared yet. I am confident that this is their best shot. And so if I'm UCAD now, I'm going to tackle a number of key hurdles. Hurdle number one, how can I give this VADA test jurisdiction under UCAD? That's the key question. And that may just be, well, if they found Clomid in a system and they use the same collection approach as we do and they use the same labs that we do, the same labs that the WBC said have an impeccable reputation, we have to take this seriously. So even if there's no jurisdiction to enforce, there's definitely jurisdiction to investigate. And to understand. And so what I imagine UCAD will do is they'll draw up a lineage and they'll say, right, you're positive on, on these tests with this methodology. You are negative on these tests with this methodology. Lesson learned, this methodology is superior to this one. Yeah, And then you start to build your case based on that. The 270-page document can always be torn apart if you've got the right legal minds around you. That's for absolute certain. So this is squarely on UCAD and the board now. Is this a fight they want to have? Because if they don't want to have this fight, and I imagine you in the board are talking, and they're like, look, if you don't want this fight, say so now, because once we commit to this fight, we're all in this together. And then there's the external pressure now, because Conor ben has got the WBC tick in the box. Now what he's saying is, look, I'm thinking of suing the board. If it turns out that they shouldn't have stopped the fight, I need that purse back, three and a half million quid. And... Is that done with any certainty of winning? No, but it's done to scare the board and to force them into a position that's favorable to Conor this is where the board have to stand firm and they need to say, right, we're going to investigate. And the investigation remains the same as it always has done. How did the Clomid end up in your system? Remember, argument number one, it was contaminated in the lab. And I think I said at the time, there's no way that lab in King's College would, would ever risk that because if it turned out that King's College London were unable to manage the custody of delicate samples they'd never get any work and they're not going to sacrifice that for the sake of Connor Ben and they have a big enough endowment that they could happily take that one to court alumni representation all of that—it's you don't mess with certain institutions so that was the first argument, and that argument fell. So then the second argument was he got this from an elevated consumption of eggs that were contaminated with clomid. Now, everyone knows that you can't have hormones in food in the United Kingdom. That's one of the benefits we had of joining the European Union, was a prohibition on hormones in our livestock. So now Conor ben has got a show, and this is what he'll have to show if if there is jurisdiction for an investigation he'll have to show which eggs had clomiphene in them how were the eggs prepared what happens to clomiphene when it's cooked in eggs all of these things you've got to go through a chain of custard no you know a chain of custody by chain of argument around that and you've got to build that case to say this is how it happened and so Conor will have to provide receipts. And I have a feeling that there will be some invoices provided. Whether they're true or not, I don't know, but there'll be some invoices provided by a friendly farmer who will say, I had eggs and clomiphene may have snuck in by accident. I can't tell you how, because if I could, I wouldn't have done it, right? That will be the argument, the errors with the farmer. The farmer will take the liability. So yeah, once I found out that there was clomiphene in the eggs, I destroyed all my stock of eggs. We started again, we tested, no more clomiphene. So he can wrap this up. So the key thing is there has to be a scientist that says this is, this is such a poor theory that hasn't really been tested that we'd have to collect a sample of 10,000 eggs at random and say what proportion of these have clomiphene in them. So there's all this sort of stuff you'd have to do because the WBC investigation is different from the UK investigation. That UK investigation will require more detail. Because they have to comply with WADA. And that's why Conor Ben is playing hardball now. He doesn't want to go through that. Yeah, he doesn't because it's UCAD's a governmental body. You generally don't want to mess with the government, it can get problematic in other ways. So so now it's on the board and UCAD to work out what actually happened. And then the board to adjudicate and say, what does that mean for Conor Ben? And meanwhile, he should stay suspended, right? And, you know, Matt will say, right, we're going to have him on in the Middle East. Whether it's Pacquiao, whether it's Kell Brook, whether it's Amir Khan, doesn't actually matter right now. If he fights in the Middle East, the board should be, okay, fine, let him do that. We're still going to hold our prohibition until he comes through our investigation. And I think that would be good for boxing. My biggest worry is this, that everyone folds. That's my biggest worry. It's that everyone folds. And I'm hoping at this point the board lean on the fact that they've still got Queensbury and Boxer to provide income and provide big events because in the old days it was match or nothing. And so that's where the pressure came from. So hopefully this is a different board with a different mindset. But my big question is, where's the fan advocacy on this? Where are the fans saying, Conor Ben put a man's life in danger? We don't want him boxing again. We will not support him boxing again. Where's that energy? Because I'm just one man behind a microphone. Where is that energy? I'm not saying march on Matchroom's headquarters or anything like that. I think that might be a bit extreme. But we should have an active pledge that we're not going to watch a Conor Ben fight. We have an active pledge that we are not going to watch it on TV. We're not going to go to the events. We're not going to do anything to support this. This is what we should be doing. That's the only way you hurt a boxing promoter. A boxing promoter exists to do one thing and one thing only, and that is make a profit from promoting boxing events. When we take that profit away from them, they won't be promoters anymore. You don't hurt them any other way. Tweets don't hurt because money can ease all the Twitter pain. So it's on the fans. When are we gonna make a stand against drug cheats? I don't know if we ever have done. Like, we know who was drug cheat and some of them are still lauded as heroes. You know, they've got their own movements named after them, some of them in the hall of fame. And we've been okay with that. So I'm a hundred percent okay if boxing fans tell me, do you know what, I don't mind boxers doping. Cool, okay. If we're going to have boxing as a doped sport, fine. Let's just pull it away from UCAD and say, right, this is just a sport now. This is just an activity. So even a sport, it's a pastime that's not bound by the anti-doping regulations. Like powerlifting, like bodybuilding. And we just have a freak show. We make a, a bucket load of cash and we see people get knocked into orbit. I'm also okay with that. But these are dark times, and what, what you're seeing now is Conor Ben's handed his account over to a PR agency. He might jump in every so often when he feels offended, but broadly speaking, that's where it is. UCAD haven't gone elbow deep into the Sims gym, which they should have done. They haven't gone elbow deep into Dr. Uz and all of his clients, which is what should have happened immediately. Every one of them should have been tested right there and then. That very week, everyone on that list in his Twitter bio who is... Insta bio should have been tested. UCAD didn't do that. That lets me know that UCAD don't really want to catch everyone. They could have caught absolutely everyone. Because Dr. Az has been public for a while. They could have caught these guys in the summer. You've got boxes gaining 30 pounds still with a six pack and no one's asking how that's happened. No one's asking these uncomfortable questions. Okay, fine. But all of this stuff happens. Think about this. When Lance Armstrong was doping, they zeroed in on the whole team. The whole team were accountable. Everyone was all right. Look at everyone. And that's how it should be. Look at the institution. When they found the Soviets were doping, what happened? They looked at the whole thing. When they found the Russians, sorry, not the Soviets. When they found the Russians were doping, they looked at the whole thing. We find Conor Ben doping and no one says, can we look at the whole gym and say, what the hell has been going on here? And you should be able, the board should be able to seize your phone, your emails, all of this, like, like they do in rugby. In rugby, you've got to show your pay slips, all of this stuff. You've got to show all your bank statements for full transparency, which you don't get in boxing. And the reason you don't get any of this in boxing is if we found out the truth, there'd be riots in the streets. The lack of transparency in boxing allows a lot of messed up things to stay hidden. So, if you ask me what's going to happen with this Conor Ben thing, here's one thing I'll say with absolute certainty. That card that they put together for Conor Ben's return, they'll make it so good, you won't resist it. Because, and what Eddie will show is he'll just show he's the most powerful man in boxing. He'll pull a card together, and fans will be like, wow. I need to see that. And that'll be Connor Ben's return. Yeah, absolutely crazy, isn't it? And you know what? When when we look back on this and we say, when did anti doping become an irrelevance? And I always say it became an irrelevance when you were allowed to make excuses. I thought the strict liability thing was a great idea. Where it didn't matter how it got into your system, once it was in your system you couldn't compete. Because what that did is it forced the athletes to cut no corners. When they allowed Ginny Fuchs to... Um, when allowed Ginny Fuchs to compete as an amateur boxer, having been found not with naturally occurring hormones at elevated levels in her system, she was found with research chemicals in her system. And then she said she got them from engaging in physical contact with her boyfriend vigorously. But it's like... He shouldn't have had them either. These aren't things that you should have naturally. And if he wasn't telling her why she's still with him, all of these things. But when you look at that and they accept these stupid excuses and you suddenly realize they don't want to catch these people. They want to catch you. They want to catch me. People who don't have recourse to lawyers and so on and so forth, because that's an easy win for them. All they do is seek to justify their own existence. And they do that by saying, this is how many people we caught. It doesn't matter who they catch. If they catch a heavyweight champion of the world, cool. But it's equally cool if they catch some young amateur kid in Cumbria. That's the issue. Until they get a government mandate to clean up boxing and the additional funding to do so, don't expect it to happen anytime soon. So we will be here after the next fail test. And the next one, and the next one, and the next one. And at no point will anyone look back and go, Liam Cameron was hard done buying that case. Because all he needed were about four or five lawyer letters, and they had to let him go with a six-month ban. Crazy. I think that's probably a good point to end. I think i blessed you with two episodes in a day, so... You know, I'm allowed a few days off now, surely. Please, please, have a few days off. You take care, and I'll speak to you guys soon. Okay, bye.